Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Two Footed Tackle Podcast. I'm your host, Arisha Batakos, and we're back again for another week of football, or week of talking about football, I should say. The week of football has already happened. Um, everyone, hope everyone is well. As always, I hope the week has treated everyone spectacularly, as it has myself. There was a lot of sport um, over the weekend. I think my Saturday into Sunday was just just stupid i think the obviously the a-league was on the a-league's back so that happened friday night and then obviously the whole saturday so saturday was at 3 5 30 and obviously 7 45 with the big blue which we'll touch on um as we'll touch on all the other a-league actions of course um then that transitioned into the prem at at 10 30 uh, melbourne time which transitioned into the 1am kickoffs which transitioned into the 3 30 chelsea arsenal game which then pushed all the way up until the ufc which started at about 5 30 um 5 o'clock so um little to no sleep happened for ari on saturday night uh, i think i got like two hours um i think i felt so i did i didn't watch the 1am games i thought if i'm gonna watch the chelsea arsenal and stay up for the ufc to watch volk um, I better get some sleep. So I did. Um, and then we went to bed at whatever it was, like 7 o'clock or whenever time the fight finished. Woke up and then flicked on 10 bowl to watch some more A-League, which went all the way into the 7.45 kickoff. Perth, Newcastle. So yeah, a lot of sport. And I feel like it's apt that I watched it. I watched all of it, considering that I cover it, um, especially football for this podcast. So there we go. But apart from that, well, swell weekends. Um, nose is a bit hay on. So if you can excuse the red nose, um, just I don't know whether it's hay fever or a cold or something, but something's not right. Like my nose has just been, my nose has been against me this this week. So runny, blocked, irritated the whole nine yards, which is not great. So hopefully it, it holds out for the rest of this, um, for the rest of this episode, and I can attend to it after. But. That's all for my weekends, I think. Um, what I did notice is I definitely need a haircut, though, so that I should probably get that done at some stage. Um, not like any of you care. Well, I guess you might, depending on. But yeah, regardless, I'm digressing as per. Hope everyone is well. Hope everyone had a similarly action-packed weekend as what I had. Um, and yeah, hope everyone's teams won on the weekend. As always, we like to spread positivity and good vibes on this show. So um, yeah, hope everyone is feeling as good as possible on what will be a Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning slash whenever you guys are listening to this episode. So before we start, we have to get through all the admin stuff. Make sure you subscribe to the Two Foot Tackle Podcast on YouTube. Of course, notification bell, like it, or the whole nine yards. It would mean more than the world. Of course, all the audio platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. Even if you do watch on YouTube, head over to the audio platforms. Give it a like. Give it a play, a follow, a five-star, a subscribe, whatever it is. It would mean the world. And, of course, all the socials, Two Foot Tackle Podcast on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok for all your two-footed tackle podcasting needs right there we go um let's crack on so a lot to a lot to cover um a lot to cover kind of uh, domestically that's the word i was looking for a lot to cover domestically so this will probably be a big chunk of this podcast will be a league based because some things happened over after i started recording so um yeah some things happened sorry after after i recorded last week towards the back in the last week some things happened um, which I was really tempted to do an emergency podcast, really tempted to, but I decided against um, because I thought I will speak about it fully on Monday, which will be released on Tuesday. So, 
let's should we just should we let's go abroad first let's go abroad and then we'll return home as the camera decides not focused there we go let's go abroad and let's return home and where we can t- speak on the big chunk of the podcast so premier league is back merseyside derby of course happened um merseyside derby happened on the weekend liverpool 2 everton nil a really weird game a really strange game i don't really think i i, I yeah really weird really strange game a lot of people thought that Liverpool were just going to roll Everton because Everton haven't been that good this season. Obviously, they beat Bournemouth last time out, which is great, but they obviously they lost to Luton. So, um, really swings and roundabouts kind of areas there. And Liverpool have been very, very good this season. Uh, Liverpool are, yeah, Liverpool are Liverpool are genuine, um, genuine league contenders. I just want to get that out there. Liverpool can definitely win the league. But regardless, um I thought this game was good. I thought it was a good game. Like I really thought I thought it was quite entertaining. Liverpool Liverpool and the counter attack were fucking blistering. Like blistering. It was insane. It was really, really good to watch. Um yeah, that was just every single time they got the ball bang into the channel for Salah, for Gapo. Um oh sorry for Dea, sorry Gapo when he of course when he um Oh no, Gakpo didn't play. Nunes, I was thinking of when Nunes came off the bench, they got him down the line as well. But it was it was Diaz and it was Salah down the down down the flanks flanks initially. Then obviously when Nunes came on, Jota as well playing through the middle was very good for them as well. I thought his ability to like drop deep, drop out wide, that fluidness that probably he is the best exponent of being as fluid as what as a player can be playing in that false night system for Liverpool. So yeah, I thought Salah was good, Diaz was great. Um down the other side and of course that midfield three is just fucking unbelievable. Like that midfield three is just so good. Like like for Liverpool fans it must be so jarring for Liverpool fans having gone from watching Henderson, Thiago and Fabinho last year to watching McAllister, Sabozalai and Granda Birch. Like like, I think I saw this tweet. They've got three half-turn merchants. They've got three Cruyff-turn merchants in the middle of the park, whereas last year they didn't have... They had a combined turning circle of the, of the fucking seven tractors lined up against each other. Like, it would... Like, their midfield, when, they, when they're when they on and when, they're, when they have the ability to collect the ball facing back to goal and turning on a dime and driving forward, playing those balls down the line for Salah and for, for Diaz or for whoever it is, Gakpo when he comes back or whoever, right? It was, yeah, but just blistering, like blistering football. So I think for Liverpool fans, have to take a lot of solace out of the way that they were able to play. You probably, I think, I think Liverpool fans obviously take the result two 0 win against your against your arch rivals at home. Lovely stuff. Salah with the brace, get the, gets those FPL points up. But um, I think I think the performance. I think Liverpool probably deserved a little bit more than a 2-0 win, to be honest. Um, they were just, yeah, very solid throughout. They, like, I just can't get over how good they were on the counter-attack. Like, it was fucked. Blistering. Blistering pace. And the, the, this kind of new... It's a, it's pretty much a new Liverpool team. Like, even though the players, like Van Dijk, Allison, Trent, Timikas, Salah, Jota, still relatively the same. I mean, we took a look at the people that, that came off the bench. Matip, Gomez, Elliot. Relatively similar squad to what was last year and even the year before. But when you change a midfield, I think it, it. I think it's very obvious to see just how much the midfield last year was holding them back, and how a new midfield that is all of a sudden good at collecting the ball and playing forward passes and driving forward, really good, like really, really good. So yeah. 
good positives for Liverpool there. Even for Everton. I thought Everton held, definitely held their own for some portions of the game. They defended really well, um, especially on the counter-attack. Every chance that they did give up, they were able to they were able to kind of get back in numbers and really stifle any clear-cut opportunities that Liverpool had throughout the game. So I thought it was a good, good positive signs for them, despite the result not going their way. Though obviously, it was kind of... It was 1-0, and then obviously they... Um, it was 1-0, and then Everton went up the other end and tried to really and tried to really go for it, and then, of course, they got caught out. So it wasn't a 2-0, proper 2-0. It was a 1-0 and a consolation goal, if you could call it that. But, yeah, good performance from Liverpool. Congratulations to them. If we move on, nothing really nothing really overly interesting happened in the 1am games for what I saw. Obviously, City won 2-1. Like I said, I think I said this a while ago, from what I saw, Jeremy Doku was off his head and like I said Jeremy Doku will be the end for Jack Grealish um, he's exactly what Pep wants in a winner he, winger he's Leroy Sane but with the ability to cut inside it's great like he played off the left in this game and he obviously is a right footed player so his ability to cut inside with such pace and with such directness is something that Grealish just does not offer like Grealish is a far more patient footballer a footballer that likes to drive and then come back, drive and then come back. He's very patient with his build-up, whereas Doku is see ball, get ball, attack the goal type of mentality, which is really exciting to watch. It's really, it's far more risky because you don't really see Grealish make mistakes. You kind of see Grealish not... like That's what Grealish's game is, not making mistakes, but he doesn't really do a whole lot in terms of progressive actions. Whereas Doku is high risk, high reward. When Doku's pass, dribble, cross, drive towards the box, when it pays off, when it comes off, it's sensational. It's otherworldly. But when it doesn't, it can cause a little bit of an issue. So anyways, that's just my two cents on that game. Obviously, Akanji got sent off, was it? So he'll miss he'll miss three games. And those three games, yeah, it was Akanji sent off in the, in the last minute. Um, I know it was a double yellow. So he will only miss one game. But unfortunately, that game is a Manchester derby, which, despite the disparity between the two teams at the moment, it's a Manchester derby, anything can happen. We've seen stranger things happen before. So, yeah, there's obviously that. Newcastle won 4-0. Palace are in a pretty weird position because they're what? They're currently 11th on the table. They're pretty much there, what? Seven, they're six, eight points clear of the relegation zone, as things stand. So, they're not in a relegation dogfight by any means. They had a pretty good start to the year, if I do recall correctly. Um... Yeah, they had a pretty good start to the year. They won, what, three? They won two of their first three, drew one, and their one loss came against Arsenal, um, which, I mean, we obviously all know how the quality that Arsenal possess. So, but a little bit of a poor poor run of it recently. They've only won one of the last five, and they've lost three of those. So it's they, they, they are in a weird position as things stand. Obviously, none of their, like, their squad was pretty pretty depleted like they they had three subs who I don't actually know any of who and don't know any of the players that they've that they subbed on um their squad is weird because you have players who have glimpses of 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 quality you have like obviously IU has been around for ages and you know you he has glimpses of quality but hasn't been able to show it I think Jefferson Lerm is a great talent I think Jefferson Lerm is a pretty good footballer I think he's played well this season um didn't have the best of games that he, on the weekend but I thought he's okay Will Hughes is a definitely Premier League caliber footballer I think he's quite good um Edward Mateta 
good players. I think the defence, Mitchell, Gway, Anderson, I think are good. Johnson in goal is great. How Danny Ward's or how Joel Ward, sorry, still gets a game is beyond me. Um, but he he's been solid. He's he's very much in the Aspilicueta mould of just a good enough footballer. Good enough, I think is the way to describe him. So yeah, they obviously didn't know none of their big players were playing, um, which kind of puts them, which puts them in a very in puts them in a very difficult position. Like Eze injured, um, Elise was Elise didn't play. Uh, so like these players who are really their focal points going forward. Probably didn't allow them to have any threat going forward, which meant Newcastle were able to play with a little bit more of a sense of we can go forward because they've got nothing the other way. So that's why I think... You know how people say defence is the best form of attack? I would actually say, in some cases, attack is the best form of defence because if I'm... Say I'm... Let's just say I'm Chelsea, right? And I verse... Say I'm Chelsea and I verse Liverpool, right? But it's a Liverpool team with no Jota, Salah, Diaz, Nunes, uh, Gakpo. Like they've got all of their front, all of their best front five out, and their front five is like Elliot and um, like I don't know who was on the bench for them that I can just pluck out of nowhere. So like th- their front three is what Elliot, McConnell, and I don't know they're playing Watsura Endo as like a as like an attacking midfielder or something like that. Let's just say that Liverpool have all of their best players out, all of their best attackers out. As a Chelsea supporter, you can look at it and think, okay, like as as Chelsea, I should say, it's far easier to go for it a lot more because you know that if you get hit on the counter-attack or if you lose possession, they don't really have anything to damage. They don't really have anything to capitalise on those mistakes because there's no talent up front. So um, I actually think the your attack and how good your attack is can actually be the best form of defence because it can really nullify uh, opposition's ability to really express themselves going forward because they know if they turn the ball over and you can hit them on the counter, they're fucked. That type of thing. So let's move on. Oh, I want to... I so oh yeah, that's probably it for the kind of 3 p.m. games, if that makes sense. Um, or 3 p.m.? 3 p.m. kickoffs? Is it 3 p.m. kickoffs? No. Yeah, no, it is 3 p.m. kickoffs in England. Because it's one th- one o'clock here. It's daylight saving. Yeah, three PM kickoffs. So yeah, that's all I pretty much want to say for the three PM kickoffs. And Luton versus Forest is a was a game. But um, let's touch on the Chelsea Arsenal game. I want to touch on the penalty in particular because I feel like this has caused a lot of controversy, um, especially like on Twitter and people discussing it and even on commentary. People weren't too sure about the about the penalty that was actually given. So, am I going to sneeze? No, no, I'm not. Okay, I felt it coming, but I was able to to. to Knock it away. Okay. I want to speak about the penalty. So, a lot of people were very kind of... A lot of people... A lot of people were very angry or confused as to why the penalty was given. To me, it was a clear-cut penalty for this reason. Mudrick is having a shot. Like, Mudrick's header, while it might not be definitively on target, it's a shot on goal. The ball is going towards the goal. And... The defender has blocked it with his hand. I don't care how close the defender was to Mudrik. I don't care if the defender didn't see Mudrik head the ball. I don't care if wh- whether the arm was in a natural position or whether it, was, whether it wasn't. I don't care. Mudrik was having a shot and the defender blocked it with his arm, meaning penalty. I think that's the avenue that I'm looking at it from, that I, I'm confused as to why people aren't looking at it from the same prism. It was a pretty clear-cut decision in my book and... 
despite the proximity between the header and the ball hitting the hand, it was going it was going towards the goal. Whether or not it was on target or not, it's a different story. But it was going towards the goal. Like that could have been a goal if the hand wasn't in the way. Meaning it's a penalty. We've seen that countless times before of different of, of situations like that where a shot or a or a cross or something has happened and an arm has gone in the way and it's given a penalty because it was going on target. That's kind of the way that I'm looking at it, if that if that makes any sense. So yeah, that's kind of the way that I looked at that penalty. When I saw it, I was very much in the camp of, oh yeah, clear cut penalty. Cole Palmer steps up and scores quite comfortably. Um, I really like Cole Palmer, by the way. I think Cole Palmer's a gem. I think he's really good. I'm really happy with that signing. But um, yeah, what what else do we do we speak on from that game? Just it was weird that both goalkeepers turned into mesh, like yeah, David Raya in in one end thinking he's a centre back and positioning himself on the penalty spot for a cross, which ended up going in the goal, which was quite funny. And you had Robert Sanchez just pass the ball straight to Declan Rice. Sure, um. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what happened to both goalkeepers because both both goalkeepers have been okay. Like Raya, I think has been a little bit better than Sanchez. Sanchez is, I think, a fine goalkeeper. I don't think he's. I think if Chelsea are going to want to win the league, I think they do need to upgrade on that position. And if they really want to contend in Europe, etc., I think they do need to upgrade that position. I think he's fine. Like I think he's a perfectly reasonable goalkeeper. But yeah, it was. Weird game. Chelsea dominate. Like, Chelsea really get a stranglehold of the game. They score nice and early with a penalty, and then immediately off half, off half-time, Mudrik with the cross-come shot goal goes in. So you're thinking, great, Chelsea 2-0. And while it wasn't a convincing 2-0 performance in the sense of a goal came from a penalty and from a lucky cross, so we didn't really break them down and really dominate possession and killed like suffocate them and really break them down it was it was almost a smash and grab job but it was a smash and grab job done clinically and Arsenal had nothing going forward like Arsenal had like 70% possession but did nothing with it so you can claim possession you can really you can claim possession you can say oh Arsenal had so much more of the ball they had a a lot more shots they had far more they had a lot of territory in comparison to Chelsea but at the end of the day if you're not doing anything with it don't count your chances, make your chances count. And don't count your possession, make your possession count type of thing. So, um, yeah, I thought Chelsea were on their way to a comfortable 2-0 win and then Robert Sanchez decides to turn into... Uh, decides to turn into Robin Hood, just giving away stuff. Robin Hood? Did Robin Hood do that? No, I can't remember. Um, started giving away stuff, gave the ball to Declan Rice, who... So it was actually a great finish, in fairness. Like, it was actually a fucking good strike. To hit it first time and to whip it into the corner like that. Fair goes. And then Saka didn't have his game, but that was his moment. Ball to the back post. And a donut. And a comfortable finish for... um, And a comfortable finish for Leandro... Was it Leandro Trossard? I'm 90% sure it was Leandro Trossard. It was Leandro Trossard. So, um, yeah. Comfortable finish for him. Two all... Arsenal had chances to make a 3-2. We had chances to make a 3-2. Yeah. One of those games, really. One of those games. Chelsea decided to go with the kind of false nine setup with Palmer playing as that kind of false nine with no recognised number nine. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. I thought it allowed us to be a little bit more fluid and allowed us to kind of build as a team because we couldn't just lump the ball to a striker or we couldn't just pass the ball direct because we had no one there. So we had to like really build up as a team, which I thought, which I thought allowed us to... Allowed us to capitalise a little bit more on some of our chances. I say capitalise. 
get like have shots on goal from some of our chances. And then it was quite ironic that Arsenal didn't go with Kai Havertz for this game. Um, they were with Jesus up front, which I thought they were going to do. Sinchenko comes off at halftime for Tomiyasu. Tomiyasu provided that little bit more defensive security, especially on the counter-attack. He snuffed out a couple of our chances. So, got to give credit to Mikel Atata for that call. Um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty even game for both sides. So, yeah, good performance for both. I say good performance for both. Chelsea with a good performance, Arsenal with a good fight back. That's how I would describe this game. Probably not a good performance for both, but a good fight back for Arsenal, a good performance for Chelsea. I think both sides can take a lot of positives out of it. Chelsea probably looking at it from the perspective of we dominated 75% of the game and we just fell away late on, so we can take a lot of solace out of that. And Arsenal, despite the very poor performance, they came back, showed some character, showed some bottle, and um, were able to salvage a point when they looked dead and buried. So credit to them for that. Okay, that's all I want to speak about that game because... Gee, that was a really tough watch at 3.30 in the morning, but I digress. Villa beat West Ham 4-1. Villa are really good. Like, Villa are like... I don't want to say smoky for, for, for the league because I feel like it's very unfair. But I think... I think Villa are like... Villa could be what, like, Southampton were, like, 10 years ago, where they're just a little bit unassuming... No one really knows what they are, where they're going, how they're performing, but they're just always there. Like they're always top six, top five, knocking on the on the door for top four. So I, while I don't think they'll get Champions League football, I think European football is definitely on the cards. I think they could definitely win the Conference League as well. And they're playing great football, like a really, really, really good football. And I spoke about Unai Emery a couple of weeks ago, just about how I think clubs like Villa are just his level. He can get the best out of clubs like Villa. And I mean, when you look at the attacking talent that they've got, Watkins is reviving some form that he had a couple of a couple of years ago. And obviously the likes of Diaby as well has been, a, has been a fantastic find for them. I just think they're performing really, really, really well. And just a lot going right. A lot going right for them. So credit to them. If I would have to give a if I, if I would have to give a really kind of brash and very early prediction of where I think they could finish, they're currently fifth, three points off top. Top four might be a little bit out of reach. I just think City, Arsenal, Liverpool, and Tottenham are just that little bit too good as things stand. But they could definitely finish fifth. Definitely finish fifth. I think as things stand, it's them, Newcastle, and Brighton who are the best of the rest. And then you've got the other clubs loitering a little bit behind and then the four clubs just a little bit in front. So, yeah, anywhere between 5th and 7th for Villa, which I think a lot of people had them pre-season, but the Conference League is on. I'm telling you, the Conference League is definitely on. They could win that, and I mean, what a moment that would be for Villa fans. Start the success for so long and finally winning a European trophy. So there you go. Um, yeah, Villa were very good. Villa were very, very good. Okay, let's move on. Let's let's come back. Let's get on a flight. Let's get on a Boeing 747. Um, 747? What are some flights? Let's get on a... I don't know. I'm not... I'm not really that into planes, surprisingly. Um, so, yeah. Let's just hop on a Qantas. <laughs> hop on a Qantas. Emirates. It'd be Emirates. If you're going from London to... If you're going from England to Australia, it'd definitely be Emirates. Yeah. Um, let's go on an Emirates flight. Back down to... We're actually going to go to Sydney first. Because that's where all this thing would have happened. Um, where do we start with this? The Day of Reckoning has come upon a lot of people. And the day that a lot of people um, have been crying out for has finally happened. 
where do we go with this? I will, oh, okay. I'll touch on the grand final decision, then I'll touch on Danny and, and what happened there. Okay, the grand final decision. The grand final decision is fi- has finally been revoked. It only took it only took twelve months, guys. It only took the best part of twelve months for the APL to finally listen to the supporters and to finally realize what a shit decision they've made. But they finally come to their senses, and we finally have Australian football tradition back. Thank the Lord. Not only was it a terrible footballing decision, not only was the financial reasons behind that decision filled with filled with areas of critique and filled with kind of things you can point at it and say that that was bullshit as well. Not only was the communication absolutely fucking dreadful, but it was made by people who have no idea how to manage football in this country. And they've left, the decision has gone, and finally we are slowly but surely getting football back to where it once was, where it needs to be, and where it potentially should be. Thank fuck for that. You can sit here and scream and cry about... You can sit here and start abusing the decision, abusing the people that made the decision. I'm not going to do that. They've had enough abuse thrown at them already, and I'm going to touch on Danny and his tenure a little bit later. But just finally, right? Finally. We've come to our senses, and we're free. We are free from this decision, and it's come... That's gone, and what's brought and what's come in its place is Unite Round. Why didn't they just do this? Why didn't they just do this from the start? This would have made so much more sense. It would have been so such a better financial decision for the league. It would have been such a better decision for the fans. It just makes so much more sense. We saw the success of Magic Round in the NRL. We saw the success of Gather Round in the AFL. While it might not be as successful as both of those two sports and their versions of it, if we can have half the amount of success that those two rounds have had for the A-League, it's a success in my opinion. Because you've had you have all of the men's teams, all the women's teams in one city over a weekend. It just makes so much sense. It just makes so much sense. You can finally get a proper kind of festival of football, a party-like atmosphere, a carnival-like atmosphere where everyone's there, the vibes are high, good weather, good football. It just makes so much more sense. It just makes so much more sense. So they finally came to their senses and they were able to just finally make a good decision. It only took them ten months. It only took them ten months. So it could have taken them. It could have taken them three years, which was the initial kind of time frame. But it's happened, and we can forget that this. We can forget that their last twelve months ever happened. Well, we can't really forget. We can remember and then discard. Maybe that's a way to describe it, because you can't really forget it because of just how important it's been. Or not important, just how substantial it's been that's the word substantial so yeah thank the christ thank the lord that the decision has been reversed there was about four people in the entirety of the country who wanted that decision to stand and those four people sucks to suck i guess so yeah there you go it's finally been reversed great awesome terrific stuff just magical okay now, that's what I want to touch on about the grand final decision. decision Because I don't really think you can speak a lot about that without just saying, hooray, it's gone. Hooray, Unite Round's in. Great. B- 
because you know what I mean. It's not really like you can't really speak a lot more about it than that. Okay. What you can speak a lot more about is Danny Townsend. Now, for those who don't know, if there's an insane, Danny Townsend has left his role as chair or CEO of the APL. Um, he's taken up a move into the Middle East. So I would like to clarify before I start, before I'm, I'm going to say what I'm about to say, I feel far more comfortable saying a lot more because I know Danny Townsend is still in a job. Danny Townsend was sacked and didn't have a job. I feel it would be pretty harsh to kick, to kick a man while he's down, but he's gone to Middle East. He has a job, so I feel like we can critique his decision making and his tenure fairly. Okay, with that statement out of the way, let's let let's not say now. Danny Townsend was a very before he became APL chair or CEO, whatever. He was obviously head of Sydney FC, was high up in that in in that at that club, and did a lot of things that were beneficial for the club, right? So from, from a business perspective, I think he ran Sydney FC pretty well. Not terrifically, not terribly, just ran them okay. Came into the role as the APL, and I think in, as chair of the APL or whatever, and I think you have to give credit where credit is due. He was probably the most transparent CEO the league has ever seen, and I think for that, you have to commend him. You have to commend him for that. You have to say, you have to give credit where credit is due, and you have to say, okay, fair enough. You were very transparent. This is before the decision. You were very transparent. You were open with your dialogue. You seemed to have the interests of football in your heart, right? So you, you have to give credit where credit is due for, for that. He was very transparent on Twitter. Very The communication was very open. It was very two-way. He went on a bunch of... I know he went on a couple of podcasts, um, which allowed people to give him an insight into the, the behind-the-scenes running of the APL and what he was like as a person, etc., and as a businessman, etc., etc. However, the decision was made and that you live and die by your decisions and you live and die by your sword, right? And he made that decision and for whatever reasons, I think, we'll t- I think we can probably touch on the reasons why he thought the decision was going to be good. It was a good financial decision for the league. I say good financial decision. The reason why it was a good financial decision for the league was because the league had ran itself into the ground and needed the finances, right? They spent $300 million on a website that has been renamed and has kind of been completely discarded in keep up, right? So you, you take the idea of it being a good financial decision and then you can retort it by saying... What, where's your 300 million gone, right? Okay, so there's that, right? Or the 300 million that fucking spent for the website or whatever, whatever it was, right? Whatever the finances behind the Paramount deal and the running of Cape Up, etc. Where did those where did those finances go? Or why were those finances put to those specific areas? Whatever. So there's that. You look at it from a footballing perspective. Australian football is a very delicate, it's very delicate, right? It's very fragile. Australian football is very fragile and you need to look at the elements of it that have been strong and ever-present. And one of those is the grand final tradition. The highest-ranked team hosts the grand final. Barring the COVID year and maybe barring the year before where it was Western United and Melbourne City, which through no fault of their own, through no fault of the APLs, didn't draw a massive crowd because of the, the stature of those two clubs, right? But before then, you had 
fifty had near on sixty thousand in um in Perth. He had a f- capacity um crowd um up in the hunts the year before. You had Sydney Football Stadium packed out the year before that. You had Adelaide Oval going off its tits the year before that. You had Amy Park going off its tits the year before that. So a lot of positives around that grand final tradition. So Danny, whatever reason, whatever the reason was, he made that decision to remove that tradition. That tradition was almost exclusively done initially to give back to the fans. So what it looked like was it looked like Danny was taking away from the fans to fulfill the bottom line and to to make sure that the bottom line was looked after. Okay, that is your legacy now. Like that is his legacy now. And for whatever good he did prior to whatever good he did prior to the decision being made, and the fallout of the decision where he basically went, he basically took all that transparency that he had and threw it out the window. Basically, didn't do any media appearances. His Twitter has been abandoned. Everything about the public image of Danny Townsend hit the like nosedived. You take all of that transparency that was present before the decision. The decision was made, and he hid. He hid away. He threw the blame at other people, and he did not take accountability for his actions. Even ever since the decision has been reversed, he's not taken accountability for his actions. And I think that is probably one of the more disappointing things because everyone makes mistakes. Humans make, humans make mistakes. If he had come out and said, look, he didn't have to. He didn't have to change the decision immediately. He made his decision. He and the board came again, came together again a couple of days after, and stood by their decision. And then a year later, they reversed the decision. At no point has Danny Townsend made any comment about any of those things publicly, right? A a, a strong comment about it, right? He did, of course, go on, I think it was the Born Offside podcast, which I thought was pretty good. And I thought he addressed some of the issues. But I feel like... Like, the, the, the Born Offside crew were great, right? Um, I think it was Claude's Olad, and Kat Sasso, I think, were on that episode. Um, th- they were great, right? They were great. They, they do great content. I feel like they could have gone a little bit harder, personally. But that's just me nitpicking. I thought it was a, I thought it was a fine podcast, but it was always set up. It wasn't an interrogation, which is not what they do. They don't interrogate people. Their whole thing is very upbeat stuff, which is great in its own right. I think it's a terrific podcast. I listen to it often. Anyway, that's besides the point. But it was he was never interrogated for his decision. That's what I'm saying. And he didn't make any public appearances defending his decision on his own back. He didn't do a press conference defending his decision on his own back. And I feel like that was probably one of the more disappointing things. So despite whatever good he did, despite whatever good he did previously, despite whatever he good he, despite whatever good he did before the decision, despite whatever good he did for Sydney FC, despite whatever good he's done for the league, his legacy and his reputation amongst Australian football fans will always be around that grand final decision, his response to it, and his ability to not listen to the fans. And essentially, that kills any goodwill a lot of people have with him. Because, like I said, Australian football is so delicate and so fragile, and all the fans, including myself, are very defensive about it. So as soon as one bad thing happens, as soon as one 
person makes the wrong decision to fulfill the bottom line instead of fulfilling the best interests of the fans, people jump on them. And whether it's right or wrong, who knows? But at the end of the day, he did wrong by Australian football fans. And that is the legacy that he will hold probably forever when it comes to a business, a sporting businessman perspective. So he's not a bad person. I don't think he's a bad person. I just think he made the wrong decision and went about it the wrong way and was and was unable to fulfill the standards that Australian football fans hold of the person leading the APLs of the APL, which is look after the fans first, then the bottom line. So yeah, that is my kind of two cents on Danny and everything that's happened. It's a lot. It's a lot because I don't want to be. I don't want to come on here and attack him. I don't want to come on here and say he's a shit. He's a shit person and start abusing him because I don't think he's a bad person. I don't think. I don't think you can judge a entire person based on one bad decision. However, I do think you can judge the credentials and the interests of a person based on one decision. So, yeah, I don't think he, I don't think he should ever return to Australian football. I think I think that that bridge has been burnt. I, I, I think it's completely, like, nothing. From a club level to a board level to a league level to an FA level to the A-League women's, the Matildas, everything. Cut it off. Done. You, you, you can't be involved again. That bridge has been burnt. And you have hurt a lot of people. So I don't think he can ever return to Australian football. Um, it will take a lot. And maybe time heals all wounds. Maybe it does. Maybe in 15 years we'll forget about it and he can come back and be a CEO of a club somewhere, but that I don't think that'll ever happen, personally. Especially considering the decision the decision was under his watch, the Melbourne Derby, that incident was under his watch, and that decision and that incident at the Derby has probably set the league back 10 years, in my opinion. That happened under his tenure. And football fans, and while, while he didn't instruct the OSM to storm the pitch he was partially responsible. So, I'm not saying he was fully responsible, but I'm saying if that decision doesn't happen, that incident doesn't happen. And not only did that incident happen under his tenure, the response to that incident and everything around that incident happened under his tenure, a lot of bad things happened. So, yeah. That's all I kind of got to say, I think, about that. Um, I don't hate him. I don't hate him as a person. I don't think he's a bad person. I just think he made a bad decision. And I don't think he, I don't think he can be rectified. So, yeah. That's just my two cents on it all. But, yeah. That's all the news that happened post me recording last week. Let's touch on the actual league now, shall we? So, the A-Leagues are back. It started on Friday night at... Um, at Cooper Stadium, Adelaide, 3-0 win over Central Coast. Comprehensive performance. Very comprehensive performance. I thought I thought Adelaide started the game quite well. Actually, no. I thought the game started relatively arm wrestle. I think both teams were trying to figure each other out. Obviously, this was a semi-final rematch of last year where um, Central Coast won quite convincingly. Um, yeah, I thought it was a arm wrestle to start. I thought it was like a seesawing affair to start. And then as soon as Central Coast lose two very important players in Caltech and Qual, um, I just thought it was yeah I thought Adelaide had the game had the game kind of in their grasp. They brought on Noah Smith and Dylan Wenzel Halls, two players who aren't 
probably a different, I mean, Dylan Wenzel Halls is pretty different to Luke Hall, so going forward, their ability to attack was a little bit different, and or was it was compromised, their ability to attack was compromised, and I feel like they couldn't really get things going in the final third, and then Ben Halloran with a great finish um, just before the, just before halftime, so just before halftime, 38th minute, um, yeah, he cuts inside and, and delivers a peach of a right foot strike into the top corner, so um, yeah, well, like off the bar, kind of top corner. Yeah. So um, fair play, fair play to him. Um, fair play to him for that. And then, of course, the penalty um, just after the hour mark kind of made it 2 0. And then Jack O'Farrell gets two yellow cards in two minutes, sending him off. And then Nick Ansel with a bullet header scoring off the assist from Bernardo, which is um, good. I think Bernardo is a very good talent as well, by the way. Um, yeah, very, very good to see. Very good to see. Very good to see Irukunda's first A-League men's start. I thought that was pretty good to see. Um, that that battle with Farrell was very entertaining throughout. I thought I thought it was a 50-50 kind of battle, to be honest. I don't think Irukunda really was able to dominate like he has done off the bench. Didn't really get into any positions where he could really test the goalkeeper or really get into those dangerous positions in the final third. But he kept Farrell accountable, and he really limited Farrell's ability to dominate the game that like he has done for for a lot of last season. So yeah, Farrell got the yellow cards or got, got the two yellow cards, which actually happened after Irukunda came off. So maybe maybe there's a little bit of a psychological win for Irukunda there that like Farrell comes off or he comes off, Farrell gets two yellows. So even without him on the pitch, he still gets he still gets one up on him. So there you go. But yeah, I thought Irukunda's game was good. Farrell did well to nullify him for the most part, but there was a couple of instances where Irukunda just had the ball and just ran full pelt at Farrell. At Farrell, sorry, he just ran full pelt at Jacob Farrell, and I was like, if I was Jacob Farrell, I would just, I just wanted like, no, goodbye, just kill me. Like, I just imagine having Nestor Irukunda running full pelt at you. Yeah, no, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. Um, so yeah, that was that. That was that game. Comprehensive from Adelaide. The two games on the Saturday afternoon, MacArthur versus Brisbane, relatively boringish game. Um, nothing really to kind of ride home about there. Um, yeah, one all, one all, one all draw for MacArthur and Brisbane. Jay O'Shea scores. So Jay O'Shea, um, yeah, Jay O'Shea scores. So that was pretty good for for Brisbane. But um, yeah, I don't really. Not really. I watched this game and I didn't really have it, take anything from it. So, I guess it was that. What game I did take from though was the Melbourne City Western United. Now this game was very good. This game, this game was good. This game had a game. This was a very, very high quality game. So many, so many good footballers on the pitch. So many good footballers on the pitch. It was very high quality. Like very, very high quality. When you look at when you look at. Um, when you look at West United, I thought Wales had a very good game. Noel Botic had a good game, took his penalty quite well. And then the kind of piece of resistance, Daniel Pena. Like you had Daniel Pena, you had Arslan on the you had Arslan on the other side, Togle Arslan. Togle. Tolge Arslan. There you go. Um yeah, you had Arslan, Saki, Pena, all on the pitch at the same time, doing what they do best. All three are Imports all three are all, all three imports all three are visa players and they are exactly the type of players you want when you're importing them from other leagues. Just the ability to 
take get the ball, take a man on, and just excite so many people and really be really be a centerpiece of what is a very underrated league in terms of the quality. But I just thought, yeah, in this game you had Saki, Arslan, Pena. In the game after it, you had the likes of Marchach, who scored a very, very quality goal um, later on in the game to secure the win for Melbourne Victory. This weekend, what I took away, the biggest takeaway for me, was some of our Visa players across the league are very, very good. I think we're in for a pretty good. I think we're in for a pretty good year. I think we are in for a pretty good year when it comes to Visa players because we saw four of them really dominate on Saturday. There was a couple in the other games as well on, on both Friday and Sunday who were really able to show their class. And I mean, the season's only a one week old. We're going to see a couple of players come from nowhere and just really take the league by the scruff of the neck. So yeah, some of the performances by some of the Visa players on the weekends were very, very good. And it just allows the homegrown players to learn to just be not be the stars of the show, but just compliment these players of a little bit more experience, a little bit more class, a little bit more like experience doing what they need to do to, to get the win. So yeah, very happy with most of the visa players that played. Um yeah, very happy with most of the visa players that played. I thought Arsenal was probably the pick of the bunch. He was exceptional. He was so so good for Melbourne City. Even though they lost even though they weren't able to get the job done, I thought he was took his goal very well and was a shining light for a lot of for, for Melbourne City in that game. West United were very good. I thought Noel Botic had a pretty good game despite his goal coming from a penalty. I thought he was good around like besides that, I thought he was quite good. I thought his hold up play was quite good. His ability to bring others into the game was quite good. Lucky Wales took his goal quite well. Dan Zaki was very good as well. So like I said, like even Dan Zaki didn't even mention Dan Zaki, but Dan Zaki was very good. Denzaki was very good as well. So you had four players in that game that was who were very, very good. And even if we fast forward a couple of hours, you had Zidane Mashash scoring an unbelievable goal. Like, just such a funny goal to put victory 2-0 up and to secure the win. Um, big dick stud, as for Vuck's sake, have coined him. The big dick stud. So, yeah, just a superb kind of game for... A superb game for a lot of a superb weekend, sorry, for a lot of the imports. Victory one, two nil. Yeah. Just what I yeah, let's I want to touch on the victory game just for a little bit. Um Victory one, two nil. Watching it from home, I didn't I, I didn't get the trip, I didn't make the trip up, but watching it from home, it really it really they've got me. They've got me again. Victory have got me. They the way we played, the the fluidness going forward, the structure behind the ball. The visa players that we've brought in, I thought Zidane Machach is a is a baller. Like he's definitely a big dick starters for Vuck's sake of have coined him that. Um, he was he was very good. Took his goal very well. Fornaroli I thought was pretty good. Arzani and Economides on the wings. If they can get some continuity in their games, if they can stay injury free, they could be very very good. I thought the Silver and Miranda at the back held their own. And Ryan Teague is a baller. Like Ryan Teague is very very good. I I said just before about how good all the Visa players were. I think if we're taking a look at some homegrown talent, Ryan Teague was probably one of, if not the pick of the bunch over the weekend. He was exceptional. Dictating play, wasn't phased by the occasion, was very, very good. So, yeah, they, these victory boys, uh, hopefully they can continue this because they've they've got me. They've got me. They've, they've got me back. I was a little bit disenfranchised by it last year. Poor performance after poor performance. The the club was in a budget with the club was in turmoil. But if they can get things right on the pitch... 
they've got me. They've got me back. So, um, yeah, very happy with their performance. Very pleased. And um, hopefully we can continue it because they were very good on the weekend. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to say for that. Obviously, the Sunday games. Um, the Sunday games ended in a very, very boring game in, in, in Sydney, which I don't want to speak about because it was dull as fucking batshit. And Perth and Newcastle played a very entertaining two-all draw, which um, ended in a hilarious goal scored by um, Stamatopoulos. Um, Apostolos Stamatopoulos. There you go. Stamatopoulos, which is close to my name, but not quite. Not quite. Um, yeah. I've got no idea what the fuck Oli Sayer was doing, but he decided to come out and grab the air or punch the air instead of the ball, and it was just bubbled home at the back post. So there you go. That is all. That is all for today's episode. Enjoy today. This was fun. This was really good. Speaking about the A-League again, how good. Um, yeah, if we're going to do some previews of the week, Champions League football's back. Some big games. Group F in the Champions League is fucked. Newcastle versus Dortmund and PSG versus Milan. So good. Um, Celtic versus Atletico will probably be a good game as well. Olympiacos versus West Ham. So there you go. For, for all the Greeks out there, you can watch that. Um, Marseille versus Aik as well. Um, so there you go. And then the Premier League back on the weekend. Chelsea play Saturday night at 10.30. Can't wait to watch that. And a bunch of games on Sunday morning slash... Or Sunday night slash Monday morning. Including the Manchester Derby. And then I'll return next Tuesday. And the victory, obviously, hosting Newcastle, which based on how weird, based on how weird Newcastle's game was, should be an interesting game. But Adelaide versus Melbourne City Sunday night at seven o'clock should be very, very good. Can't wait to watch that game. Um, Western Sydney versus Western United should be entertaining. Um, and there's actually no game on Friday night. No, there is Brisbane versus Sydney. I was going to say, sure, there's a game on Friday night. Brisbane versus Sydney. So um, a replay of the Australia Cup final. If you don't say so, if you don't mind. So there you go. Thank you all very much for watching another episode of the Two Foot Attacker Podcast. I appreciate you all sticking around. It does mean the world. Like I said in the beginning, make sure you subscribe. Um, make sure you subscribe, like, follow, rate, all that good stuff. Follow all the socials. It would mean the world. But, um, yeah, see you guys next week. Go the Vuck. Come on, Chelsea. And, um, yeah, see you guys next week. Stay well, stay safe. Goodbye.